Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got the Horrible Hobbit here, Frank, uh, giving you some insights into your long-range precision rifle shooting. All right. Uh, so uh, we've I've had a busy week. Um, it, it's been kind of crazy. Still doing some web stuff. We're we're gonna have the the front end of the website uh, finally finished and up and running for everybody. So the blog posts will be working up and better and on all that stuff so that's definitely one pro um but i had some meetings and i saturday yesterday uh today's sunday just uh, i'm recording it but saturday uh a bunch of us mike included adam from mile high um uh, oh just a bunch of guys we uh one of the uh one of the listeners uh bar there jb um he showed up to to watch so some guys from the podcast were there just uh, observing so Saturday was the Northern Colorado Pawnee match that we go to, kind of like a mile-high sponsored event. And huge, huge congrats to Mike. Mike of the Everyday Sniper won the event in some impossible conditions. Mike put on a clinic for everybody. In in these, um, by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, we're talking 30-mile-an-hour winds. It was insane. I mean, people were just like, you know, oh my God, because like these, you know, uh, things that you hear about, but you normally don't see in those six, eight, 10, 12 mile an hour winds, in 30 mile an hour winds, you see them. And none of them slowed Mike down one bit. This guy was cleaning stages. Um, he just huge congrats to Mike for for just pulling off that win and in, in, in really hard con- and it was it was not like he didn't just etch it out or win by default. I mean, it wasn't a case where everybody shot so terrible and, and and Mike was just better than the rest. Mike was cleaning stages, man. And and under these conditions, it it was really good. He's shooting his AX and uh six Creedmoor factory Hornaday ammo. And this guy was just going to town. I mean, every time he pressed the trigger, hit bing, hit bing, hit bing. This guy was hitting stuff. And, and I'll go over uh, what went on. I had one of the worst showings I ever did. I, I was wasting so much time. I ended up going home early. It was still fun in the morning, hanging out with everybody, just seeing these mistakes and seeing these things that I did wrong. I had zero prep, right? I, I, I like shot one round here. Trying to get a muzzle velocity off the magneto speed. I I showed up early on Saturday morning and shot off uh, five rounds to z- check my zero. I did three, made an adjustment, one to confirm. My zero was off on the rifle. I had no data. I was kind of tweaking data on the fly, and the wind made it impossible to do that. Um, it it, it was a mistake what I did, and it was a good learning lesson. But it, I was at the match and had fun. Said I went home a little early. I, I have an hour and a half ride, so for me to go home a few stages early is no big deal. It gets me through traffic, especially I had two hours with traffic. Saturday on I-25 in Denver is a nightmare. I'd rather go on a Monday or Friday than a Saturday, to be quite honest. But 30 mile an hour winds, really tiny targets, um, which they always have. This is not new for this. This Pawnee match is sporty for a local match. It's really good that way. And, and, and I mean, I recommend for you guys to push the limits in some of these stages, but M- Mike owned it. We started off, there's three segments to the Pawnee match, okay? 
We started off on segment three, and segment three is by far my worst area ever for this match. I have the the. Are, are you ready for this, guys? This is no bullshit. Okay, I, I think I've shot the Pawnee match four or five times now. Segment three, the farthest target is three hundred and five yards. That three hundred and five yard target, I've never hit it once in five tries even I even jumped in at the end of the line after and took another shot on it because my data was off I was like three tenths off on elevation in the very beginning and I couldn't hit any of these small targets even the 200 yard target my first shot was three tenths low and I'm like I had 0.3 on the gun at 200 and here I am 0.3 low like, Adam called it on me, and he's like, you missed. I shot another, and he's like, I, I came up, and he's like, you just caught the bottom. I'm like, what? And so I had elevation issues. Then the windage, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, I'll talk about that. So at the end of this thing and this target that I've never hit, <laughs> okay, I shot at it again and missed it again like admin. I'm like, what the hell is going on with me in this stage? And that is the farthest target. The average range on these targets in this area is 300 or no, 280 yards or something, like 260, 280. And, and they're small, they're tiny, you know, it, it, it's not very easy. And in 30 mile an hour winds, it's definitely not easy. But I was shooting the Tika Tac A1. I didn't have any real data on it. Like I said, I, I did a single shot on Friday. And I won't even tell you where, but um, with my magneto speed and got a number, I had to tweak that by like 25 feet per second because it was one round. Um, you know, then I, I was playing with software and doing all the things I told you guys not to do. I did it. Everything I said, don't follow my, you know, this lead. I did it. So huge, huge learning, learning, uh, uh, you know, opportunity there by screwing up so bad. It was embarrassing how, how bad I shot. But starting off in segment three, I think I hit two targets, maybe even like 84 yard target between the crook of the tree. I just barely hit it. I mean, the wind was blowing me around. I couldn't get comfortable. I had shit for data it, it was it was bad and then to see mike step up there and and just like smooth as silk pop hit pop hit pop hit you know it it, it it was a clinic man the guy put on a show for everybody and and you know one of the things trying to work this stuff out is you know we talked about wind and some guys bring up things like the aerodynamic jump at 30 miles an hour you see it this is where you see the elevation just completely deviate from uh, what you should be. So here you're trying to manage this 30 mile an hour wind and I'm getting variations in elevation that are just blowing me away. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. It, 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 the, 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 on the tripod and stuff, I couldn't get to there. I, I just, I, the only where I clean the pistol stage, that was the only place I shot anything worth a damn was in my handgun and I'm a terrible handgun shooter, you know, and here I cleaned the pistol part of it and couldn't hit anything with my rifle. 
when we got to the long range, the known distance long range, I mean, at like the five and the six, I started out good, hit the big one, hit the, then it was miss, 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 hit the next one, hit the next one, then miss, miss, miss. Like situations where I should have had it down when I got to the next, like once the targets got to the next smaller one, it, it just didn't work for me. And honestly, one of the things that I saw that I really think was a big driving factor with this Tika Attack A1, I mean, my other Tika last time I was out, and I even went home a little early with that one, but I was nailing everything really well with that rebuilt Tika 260 with the one and seven twist. And as we had said, I had done low data um, for it with the 136 CNR. I had the muzzle velocity up to 2850. All great stuff. Well, the TAC A1, uh, Thunder Beast suppressor on it, out of the box, the whole thing. I'm only 2750 out of those 130s. 2750 out of 130s with that barrel. That barrel's so slow. I was not getting the predictability in, in what I wanted out of it with just that. I mean, it's literally about 150 to 200 feet per second of where I should be. With prime 130, you almost want to be in that 29 to 2950 zone with it. And this, Tika's got a pretty long barrel, you know? It's not like it's short. Well, the, the, it was just not giving me the predictability that I was asking for. And, and, you know, in situations where I felt my position was good, my shots were good, my brakes were good, it wasn't responding. All on me because I had no firm data. I had a bad muzzle velocity to start. I was going there and winging it and playing stuff on the fly. Totally do what I say, not what I do. It was it was complete cluster on my... But I wanted to go out and shoot it. I went and, went and wanted to shoot the match. I wanted to go out there. Spent half the day there. I left early. Um, but like I said, my, Mike was just a clinic. It was that 2750 out of that 130s was far, far too slow, in my opinion, for, for what we were doing with that 30 mile an hour wind. Like I said, the, the KD stuff wasn't helping me, uh, to try to, cause sometimes, you know, under certain conditions, I can, I can tweak on the fly. And I was being, I think a little bit too full of myself in, in some of this way. And these targets are so small. They're unforgiving. That one section over there, um, there's there's three sections to Pawnee. There's there's the the, the stage one area, which is the long range to a thousand. Stage two has a good mix and actually goes longer. Has the reticle holds and a little bit more uh, PRSE type of setup. And then stage three, there is nothing over three hundred and five yards, but they're all tiny targets. And my dope was all off so bad. It, it was it was just embarrassing. It, it was really like I couldn't make anything work. So it it, it was quite funny. Win wise, there was a good lesson um, on the KD. You know, because once we got into the open and stuff, and I was playing with the wind, I I talked about true in the wind with software, and I got really good numbers when I did that. I ended up true in the software to the wind at twenty four and a half miles an hour. Cold bore lets you go to that half mile an hour, and I think some of the others do, but I used cold bore, and I trued the wind up, and when I was doing some of the KD stuff, I was good, but again, my elevation was off a bit, and then, you know, it was funny because I'd get a, I'd hit a target, and, and it'd be good, and they'd call it hit center on the big plate. I'd move to the next, move to the, like one of them, and I had the predictability on the whim. 
I'd hit dead center six o'clock below it. And it was like, I just hit that plate, the next plate over. The next shot was dropping. And and I and there was a couple that would just drop low, drop low. And that's that sort of right hand twist, left hand wind, pushing that round down on me and just moving it around. But I trued up the wind and I felt better in my wind calls. But once I saw my elevation predictions were just not jiving, it was like, all right, I'm just wasting ammo at this point. So I, I called it a day and didn't, didn't want, but I, like I said, Mike, Mike was beyond smooth. Uh, he, he made a comment and he's not, I wish he was here to kind of talk about it, but we'll have to get with him. He made a comment that it was, he was the first time back in like the last three or f- matches he shot with his rifle, his barrel and his scope. He had put everything back together with Adam. They re-verified, re-zeroed everything, but he had his data for it. And with the AX, he just spun it right back together, and he was on. He was on. He was money. He he was real smooth. The other thing I noticed is is definitely when the wind was up like that, those guys were using the uh the really right stuff with the leveling base, and the leveling base worked out much better than I had the center column with the twenty three and the BH. So I was up on that center column a little bit. I don't like I said people were like oh you gotta have the center column and and I had gotten a center column for the really right stuff to compare it with sort of the the hog saddle tripods the pig in the in the PRST or B whatever he calls it precision rifle tripod rest or whatever something to that effect but anyway they always say to kind of line up with loopholes and line up with situations for military and law enforcement you want that center column but let me tell you something. That leveling base and that wider tripod and having that, which will be part of that new anvil ball head, makes a big difference. You you can get much more stable, and when the wind was blowing the way it is, and you're hanging up on that center column of a tripod, I saw it. Like I said, at the 84-yard shot, there's a there's an 84-yard target in a crook of a tree. I was getting blown so bad. And I'm watching it just throw me off this target at 100, you know, 84 yards and everything. And it was, it was terrible. But I will say, truing up the wind did help. But I, it was not helping me with my elevation. And in, in that 30 mile an hour, it was, it was just not gonna give do me any favors. It, it was, it was too much. To, um, not enough conditions. I should have went with the the 20 inch Tika. And, and honestly, I'm getting convinced more and more the smaller, shorter rifles are treating me better. I'm seeing it now where we had the 18 and 20 mile an hour wins and I shot the Ruger RPR in 223, I was top 10. I shot the um, the the 20 inch Tika with the 1 and 7 and I was had really good hits. I didn't stay all day because we had done the podcast during that event, but I left at 3. Well... If I brought it on this one, I think it would have been that much better. I, I think for me personally, physically, in the whole thing, and, and a lot of it has got to be physical, it, it's the shorter, lighter, tend to treat me a little bit better. This one I just wasn't getting comfortable behind, and I'm not too bad with the Tika. I don't mind that, that TAC-A1 body. Now here I did have a problem, and I want to relate to you guys with the TAC-A1, and I had it a lot. Um, I actually did to the point where I... I it was my magazine. My magazines kept fouling. The first round would mess all the rounds above it up. And it was in that where that Tika magazine has this really kind of odd little nose piece in it. 
in the follower. The follower has this wedge in the front. I kept getting my mags fouled, which I was like, what? I never had that really noticed that before on the range shooting the Tika sort of just on the videos and admin. But here in a match setting, I was running over the top of it quite a bit and finally to the point where I brought two with me and I would only load five and five instead of the 10 because if I loaded 10 rounds into that Tika mag, it was fouling, it was messing up and I was not a fan and I and I couldn't figure out why loading it wise or what it would do to keep doing this, but it was not the mags were not functioning as I think a factory mag should function. This was their rifle, no modifications, no nothing, you know, factory ammo, factory rifle, factory magazines, and the mags were not working. So that's definitely something I want to relay to you guys that I did run into now. The other, the Tika CTR that I did, the T3X that I put in the KDX chassis, I swapped that to AICS magazines. So I'm using the the Tika in a chassis with AI mags versus their mag. And it it, it just, it it was a little, like I said, it was a combination of everything. Me not shooting well, me not getting comfortable, me not doing my homework like I should have, and then the mag kind of messing up, and then not having that predictability or that the results downrange that I was looking for. It just pound me in the head, pound me in the head, go home. I made a big fat steak. I was a happy camper, chilled out, watched uh, some Jessica Jones on Netflix and finished binging that, you know, so <laughs> the day turned out fine. Like I said, you, you get to hang out with a bunch of cool guys. <laughs> it's funny too. Everybody showed up that morning at eight o'clock in the morning or so in hoodies, right? It was cold as shit. The clouds rolled in. We had a little rain sprinkle on us. When I left Denver here, it was like 50. It was almost t-shirt weather at 6.30 in the morning. When I got up to Pawn A, it was only 39, 35 degrees. And everybody was like, oh, what the hell? And it's funny because they all, almost to a man, were wearing hoodies. And like we were all looking at each other like, oh, man, we're underdressed. We ended up getting a little bit relief in the afternoon, but the wind just never stopped. So that 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 added into all these things. So it's it's funny that here I'm thinking I'm just going to go up to this Pawnee match, local match, no big deal, nothing on the line, who cares? And I took that nonchalant attitude, and it bit me so hard. It bit me terribly hard. You got to be on your game. Learn from Frank's mistake. Frank screwed it up royally. Do a don't be like the goofus and Goliaths, right? What was that in those little highlight books you used to get in school? Don't be the goofus like Frank was. You want to be the Goliath that Mike was yesterday because Mike was definitely the Goliath there. I mean, just shooting this stuff like it was going out of style. Adam had his AI in 6BR, and he was doing real well. But even that, Mike Mike in that factory, um, 6 Creedmoor, Mike ran it, man. He 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 owned the show. I don't know where Adam scores. Where I haven't seen all the scores yet. It'd be interesting to see Adam shooting the six BR and Mike with Factory Six Creedmoor where the two landed because Adam's an outstanding shot. Um, Adam puts a lot of this stuff together, and because they both kind of everything comes out a mile high between Mike and Adam, you have a good gauge. Here's two guys with unlimited resources in a way, and not you know, but shooting almost identical equipment. 
Uh, the only difference is Adam switched over to a Heinsoldt scope instead of a Schmidt. So Mike with a Schmidt with an AX, Adam with an AX and a Heinsoldt 6BR versus uh, 6 Creed to see where those scores line up. And we'll bring them to you. We'll let Mike talk about this uh, when we can get together with him. I, he was in such a zone, and I had brought my stuff for the podcast to do stuff from the match. I, I kind of thought we were going to do a little bit of the same at the match. But when, when you saw Mike cleaning these early stages and doing as well as he did, it's like, leave him alone. Not only that, he was RO in the event. You know, he was the range officer, the squad guy, kind of like the squad leader. And he was like primary with the clipboard and then it moves around to different people. But, you know, here's Mike's run in the squad. He's cleaning the stages. So I wasn't going to bother him like, hey, Mike, let's do our podcast. Oh, come on. I'm right here. Nah, man, let, 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 him, let him take it and run with it. It was like, I'm out of here. I'm not even going to try to salvage this by doing a podcast or anything and distract myself. But um, again, the two two threes. Uh, Aaron Aaron was there. Uh, who who's uh goes to a lot of these events was shooting a two two three. Eighty Grainer at twenty nine and change, doing really well even in the wind. If you can get those heavy bullets in a two two three over twenty nine hundred feet per second, you got a viable rifle there for these events. This will work. I mean, I, I, like I said, I top 10 with that, um, that Tika or not Tika. Yeah. I did terrible with the Tika. Um, I top 10 with the Ruger in two, two, three at only 2,500 feet per second with a 77 grain at 29 with no recoil. And, and, and it's good. It, it, it's got decent numbers to it. Ballistically, you can build a two, two, three and shoot these matches. Just be over 2,900 feet per second with a 77 to an 80 grain bullet. And, and I think you'll find out that you'll do really, really well. So don't be afraid to give that a try to save some money. I mean, there, a lot of this older stuff, man, and, and I'm not saying the 223 is older, but a lot of unconventional, can you could breathe new life into it. If you got an old 30-odd um, six sitting around, rebarrel it into like a 1 in 10, you know, one in nine, put some p- speed behind it, get a good bullet with it. You can breathe some life into a 30-odd six, man, and, and have a really good viable rifle there. Put it in a chassis, you know, even a 700 new barrel in a chassis with a 30-odd six. You got a rifle that can work. 223, 2,900 feet per second, you got a rifle that can work. Um, I mean, it's definitely something there. Like I said, this... I, I really think there's something to some of the speeds, and that's why these dashers and things and BRs and six Creedmoors are doing well. If you drop the the bullet weight and get the speed up, I think you, you're 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 in you're in the butter zone. I was a 130 at 2700. I had nothing for anything. I couldn't I couldn't couldn't save my ass, man. If I had to, you know, couldn't it just it was it was terrible. But if that thing was at 29 or 30, I find I'm, I do really well. 27, no good. 29, good. So there might be something to this sort of 29 plus feet per second thing that we're all looking at. So if you got a 6.5 Creed and you can get a bullet in that 29 plus, which 123s, 120s, so on, I think you can become a viable guy even more so than going with the heavies. The heavies weren't doing anybody any favor in this wind. 
Um, I, I'll tell you that now. I didn't see anybody with a heavy bullet doing anything. I mean, Mike with the little six Creedmoor, and normally that six Creedmoor uses more wind um, in, in a lot of ways. Not on those super short targets, but the speed. The speed really helped. You can regain speed by changing your bullet up. So that's definitely something to think about uh, when we're looking at that. And, and these wins just made it. I mean, every, everything people talk about, as I said earlier in this, appears. Elevation issues show up. Unpredictability. You know, all these different things show up when the wind's 30 miles an hour. Um, that, that was a sporty match. Um, definitely congrats to Mike. For, for doing as well as he did it, it, it was it was a it was a clinic man he, he definitely put on a clinic for me I'm just going back to the drawing board with this I gotta dope this rifle up I, I may actually I'm thinking with this tack a1 yanking this barrel because it's so damn slow uh, it's accurate I mean when I was checking zero in the morning even Aaron said to me because he he was checking his zero on his rifle. I, I put a two-in-one hole right off the bat. My cold bores, my first and second round, were in the exact same hole. It was money. Made a small adjustment. Windage, I came down two, two, three, ten, two tenths down, one tenth left. Touched the orange dot, and I was good. I'm like, okay, I'm on it. Money, no problem there. So accuracy, it was good. But shooting under the conditions in the long range, it wasn't doing me favors. It was, it was not giving me... And, and here, I think, is where we're talking about speed for BC. I was using cold bore, and I used the BC on the box, which is 0.585 for the 130. That's slow, 200 feet per second, less than what it should be. I don't think it was anywhere near where I should have been. So if I had dropped that BC, when I trued the wind to 24.5 miles an hour, with less BC, that would have brought the wind back up. You know what I mean? So there's definitely correlations to your speed, your muzzle velocity-wise, in truing up the BC for your rifle, and then that's going to bring into a line this software a lot better. Okay, so you, it, if you can take the time and to dope your rifle out and then use your predicted drops or, you know, your, your verified drops, I guess is a better way of saying it. Use your verified drops to tweak your BC the most. Then go in and do your software. I think you'll see a pro because when I played with it and, and like I said, numbers wise, I know it was doing all right, but the wind was just kept knocking my round down and, and I, I kept going under the targets, man. Everything was low, even when I would bump up. And this was in, in targets that wouldn't forgive. It it was like, um, you know, two to three tenths being off a of center misses the target. That's how small they are. It's funny that that 305 yard target that I tried to shoot twice and couldn't hit it. Actually, four times because you get two rounds on it. But I can't hit the thing once. I've never hit it. I've hit the 820-yard target. Just the last match I hit it uh, with that Tika, the 20-inch the Tika. It's a 4-inch target. So at 820 yards on a 4-inch target, I've hit that target, but I can't hit the 300-yard one, you know? And it's an elevation thing, man. It's just you got to get that elevation right. And once that elevation's good, which I didn't do my homework, I didn't do work up, I never made it to the range to try, once that elevation's good, then it becomes a situation of wind. Me, I had to focus on both windage and elevation. It took me out of the game. I, 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 
I tanked it so bad. It, it was it was comical at best. So there you go. Um, that was the after action report from the NoCo Pawnee match. Congrats to Mike, the everyday sniper Menchaka, who lit it up for everybody and just totally ran ran that that course of fire like it was. I, I, I hate to see what he's going to do with it now when there's no wind. If we get out there and there's like a five to six mile an hour wind, Mike's going to be unstoppable on that course of fire if he's if he, if he has his head in the game or has the same rifle. Uh, me, I don't think I've shot that match the same rifle twice. So now I, now that I have ammo for that uh, 20-inch Tika, uh, all that stuff came in. I need to go shoot that and, and, and dope it and work it up. So, all righty. A bunch of questions coming in too on the on the Podbean app. I want to get to some of them. And oh, God, you guys are still hitting me up with the damn weather flow. All right, you know what I think the situation with the weather flow was when Apple didn't have the Bluetooth uh, link for this stuff because at the time you can only Bluetooth like headphones. You couldn't use like a Kestrel and Bluetooth to it. You had to end up getting that drop and those different things they had. I don't believe that the weather flow worked with Apple products and only Ant- I know there was a reason why I didn't try the weather flow and stuff early and then thought they used the headphone jack to power it because the Bluetooth for Apple didn't work and then now Apple changed it and you can sync all this stuff to Apple um so god I don't care about the weather flow man I'm using I have Four or five kestrels. I don't need a weather flow. But guys who are coming on and giving me, you know, oh, the, 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 the thing just holds it. It doesn't do. Yeah, all right, whatever. Hey, man, it's it's a meter I'm not using. I have kestrels. If it works for you and it Bluetooths and it does what I, happy camper, go off. I don't need 50 emails to tell me that it doesn't use the headphone jack. I got it. My, I know there was a reason why we didn't use it early on in the beginning when it first came out and why I never tried it. And I believe it's because it didn't Bluetooth to the I, uh, Apple, the iPhone. And now that it does, I just hadn't revisited. I'll get one and revisit it, do whatever. But um, you, one FYI is guys did find that it does sync with the Hornaday app. So you can use it for your Hornaday and you can feed it. So it does look like it's working for the Hornaday app. So that's been coming up. But I'm getting hammered with this weather flow stuff. And it's like, I'm really not that concerned about it. I have alternates and, you know, not everybody's using the weather flow. But I get it. If it's if it's working now and it doesn't use a headphone jack and it Bluetooths, good on it. And I'm actually going to get, I think, one of these bigger $100, $200 full-blown wind meter things, the Sonics. They got these sonic wind meters now. You just got to point them towards north. They'll go to your phone and they'll give you all this info. I'm going to do an ultrasonic wind meter. No propellers, no stuff like that. And then I'll just carry that thing around. And uh, some of them even solar power. And and we can get it up and running on some batteries. I saw a few that I've looked at. But the um, wind-wise, it's it's the main deal. You know, Um, and and so I'm going to play with that wind stuff. Another quick one that came up and I want to talk about, somebody was asking about suppressors. I am a suppressor junkie. I got more suppressors than probably your dealer around the corner. Um, I, I'm all about them. I think you should be out there suppressing stuff. And and, and I have a lot. I got another one coming. Uh, I think it's Liberty, the one that's on the way now. But if you want 
precision rifle suppressors have to be looked at in a different way than carbine and handgun suppressors, okay? Number one, sound. We don't have to sweat the sound with a suppressor with our rifles, okay? We're shooting full power loads 99% of the time, okay? So you still got cracks, you still got all that. You're really only knocking the decibels down to a little bit. They're still not technically air safe. They're, when you're outside and, and, and you got the big air around you, it's, they're usually not too bad. What we key on sound-wise is tone. You know, we can tell like three decibels between each other. To find a precision rifle can that's off very far from that three decibels is pretty rare. I mean, they might be three or four from each other, but what you're listening to is tone. It's usually wall thickness, baffle design, and how that tone sounds to us. It's, it's a subjective thing. Some people like the tone better. You know, but don't get wrapped around a suppressor for sound. Your precision rifle suppressor is all about accuracy. It's got to maintain accuracy at all costs. I have seen suppressors that still put them in one hole, but the hole's a hell of a lot bigger than it started. Always check your suppressor, group, can off, group it, load it up, get all your stuff, get your best group put your can on. It should not get worse. Okay. Now shift, we're going to get into shift happens with everything. You're putting a weight on the end of the barrel. Don't sweat shift. That's predictable. It should be something where you put your can on your zero was here in the middle, whether it's a quarter, a half, one and a half that you can dial in. I mainly zero a lot of my rifles with the suppressor on. You're going to re-zero. Every once in a while, you can go in and, you you know, I'll, I'll say, okay, I know the shift on this one is here, and you can dial that in, or you can let the software do it. That's where your zero offset stuff goes. Um, and, uh, we talked about that a little bit. You use your zero height and your zero offset in some of these apps if you're doing, like, suppressor on versus suppressor off. But my advice to you is zero the dang rifle with the can. And use that. If you take it off and put it away and then put it back on, your zero should and better maintain. That's the whole point. The 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 you know, the idea that, oh my God, I zeroed my rifle, then put my can on, and now it's shooting an inch in some direction off of center. Yeah, no kidding, dude. You just put a fourteen to twenty-four ounce weight on the end of your barrel. Your barrel is twenty to twenty-six inches long. And you hung a weight on it. It's going to move. It's changing harmonics. It's changing this. It's going through multiple layers. Um, Accuracy-wise, your direct threads are going to be better. QDs aren't. Don't get wrapped around the QD mount. A lot of them don't even work the way they should. I've seen QD mounts. We had a guy going to store up in Alaska. Uh, Good shooter. Been around. Took second class with us. This guy was shooting a gas gun. And he had a can on it. And it, I'll tell you right up, it was a Gemtech, okay? And I've had mixed results with Gemtechs. I hate to tell you guys this. I've talked to you in the past about it a little bit, but I've had really mixed results with Gemtech. So I'm watching this guy shoot. It's his second class with us. He's doing nothing wrong I can see. And his group at 200 yards was like three and a half inches. 
that's not how you should be shooting. That's not right. Take your can off for me. Do me a favor. Take the can off. He took the can off and his 200-yard group went to less than a minute. That's what we're talking about. And what it was is they have that spring in that that one Gemtech mount, the QD. Everybody wants a QD. QD shit, guys. Okay? He took it off. It's bouncing on that spring in there. And that mount wasn't holding the suppressor tight. Now, like a lot of the military is doing a suppressor thing. And I talk with Ray Sanchez. Him and I spent did that Felix Canyon ranch a while back with the Ritter and Stark thing. So we talked a lot because he's doing new suppressors. There is like a QD kind of a quick. It's not a quick detach. It's more of quick on versus off because you're not going to take it off fast. It's still hot. But it's it's sort of like, you know, half a turn versus the, the, the direct thread versus half a thread, you know, kind of. I don't know how to describe it, but you know what I mean? Instead of spinning it on, you're just clicking it on, I guess is a better way of putting it, is all your QDs are really doing. But they have movement in those systems. Like the AACs, you can rock them and they'll move. Now the military is checking for blowback because they want this same muzzle brake system, but they don't want it to leak any gases. And you see a lot of these mounts leak gases. Accuracy-wise, direct thread's always going to be best. It's eliminating variables from the system. The more direct thread you can do, the better. You want somebody that cuts your your threads and your shoulders good because that's where you're going to find errors. If you got a error in your thread and then an error in your brake and then you put the brake on the can, well, that's why people get baffle strikes and all these different things. And I've had baffle strikes and stuff, but almost always if I've had one, I mean, I'm more than 30 cans, man. If I've had a, like an end cap strike or something, it's usually on a, on a braked version that's supposed to be the QD. You, 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 Thunder Beast has it with that shoulder. That They are the platinum standard when it comes to a precision rifle can. Thunder Beast. That's all you got to know. If you want the best can on the market for precision rifle, it's Thunder Beast. Now, there's other ones that are good. I love like I love a ton of Silencer Co's. I got a whole bunch. I think for the money, they're a really good deal. You can get caps with them. I tend to recommend direct threading them a little more so than their, their options. And they do have a lot of options. I've used them. You can get end, you know, uh, you can get thread ends that change it up. I mean, I I have the 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 Silencer Co. kind of like you know gift pack, the, from the Big Boar Harvester down to the regular Harvester down to the Saker, the Spec War. I have the the pistol one, uh, the Osprey. I think it is whatever the 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 rectangly one looking is. Um, you know, all that all of those. I, I think they do a really good job on them. I'm not a big fan of overgunning a Silencer Co. one as much. Like, you know, don't cross it over to a Magnum. Get a mag- a dedicated Magnum one. But I do find their accuracy maintains pretty well. Some people say they don't sound as good. They're not as quiet, especially like the harvesters with the brakes. Who cares? They work. They're effective. That little bit extra noise, it's still cutting a lot of the sound down. It's just not like, you know, perfect. But it's still a suppressor. It still works good. It still operates the way it's supposed to. Um, another one, uh, I, an AWC, the four, sound really good and are accurate. Thick wall titanium. I, I have tons and tons of titanium. My first titanium can 
was in 2004, Jet. Jet out of Texas, uh, Aransas Pass there. And I have four Jet suppressors from 223 all the way up to 338. Well, Jet was the titanium wrapper with the ink and L in centers, right? Well, those guys who built the Jet is now Shane at Thunderbeast. He moved from Jet to Thunderbeast. And so he's been doing that since the very beginning. Jet had some issues, um, you know, kind of just managing the business and putting stuff out. So they, they kind of disappeared and fell off the radar. I have some AACs that work really good and some I'm just, eh, the 7.62 SND and whatever it is now. Uh, I think I when I had it, it was the SD and then it became something else I'm not a super fan of. That one has the movement in the break and then they switch from the 51 and the 90 and back and forth. Um, but I do have a titanium variant that is the 300 version on my 300 Norma, one of my favorite cans ever. I mean, it's it's a pricey AAC titanium. They they're proud of it. Uh, you know, it works phenomenal. I love it on my 300 Norma. It's ear it like no hearing, no nothing. It's accurate. It does everything it's supposed to. And when I had gotten it from them, uh, one of the guys, Mike over there, had sent it to me before the whole Cerebus, yada, yada, bought, sold, Remington, this, that, and the other thing. So I had gotten it before they even had a name for it. So I don't even know what they call it today. So I can't, it's like a 300 TI, 300 Mark 13, Scar Heavy. It went through like four different name changes. So I can't even tell you what model AAC it is. Um, I have the Titan for my PSR. The Titan works great. I've swapped the Titan around. But again, that's like a $3,000 AAC can, you know? The other one I like for beating on, and I have several of them, and I've beat the holy hell out of them, and I like them, and they work. I'm a Surefires. I'm a Surefire fan. I've got at least four of them, maybe five Surefires. Um the spiky mini monster. I love that one. I, I That was like, you know, I, I was doing some work with Surefire several years ago. And they're like, hey, what can we do? Yeah, you know, back and forth. And it's like, spiky mini monster. I think that thing looks so cool. But it, it's a carbine cam. But I think like military law enforcement, bulletproof, the Surefires, you can't kill them. You, there, there's so much you can do to a Surefire and, and, and you'll never kill the damn things. I, I, you know, I, I, they're a bit heavy, so you'll sometimes see some shift. I have had issues with their brakes. Uh, so have to swap a brake here and there. I have one brake still on my Gladius that's defective, but if I zero the rifle or the, the suppressor on, I have no issue with it. On from off, there's a little bit of problem, but I know it's a defective brake. I know how they've remedied it. I just, it was work. The rifle works so damn good, even with just the brake on it. I didn't want to take it off and swap it out. So I'm kind of like said to him, I said, now nah, wait till I burn this barrel out, then I'll swap that brake. But on my other rifles that have this, uh, the upgraded brake works really good. On that one, it, it just has an on and off shift issue where the Surefire brakes tend to be. But I like a Surefire brake. Um, again, don't get wrapped around the QDs. Go direct thread if you can, if you're on your precision rifle. The uh, you're, it takes you every it, it, to to unscrew a direct thread at when you're done at the end of the day is really no different than unscrewing a 
like a 90 pin or, you know, 90 notch AAC. It takes almost the same amount of time. I mean, you're unscrewing it, you're unscrewing it. Why do you have to unscrew it that fast? You know what I mean? Put the can on, leave it, put a cover on it. You definitely want a suppressor cover. uh, Another question that comes up all the time is swapping calibers. I will tell you, I've shot and done really well my 7 Wisdom. I have a 338 can on my 7 Wisdom. Works great. Playing around, I have 30 cals on 6.5s. I have 338s on other stuff. I swap them around all the time. It does not matter. The sound does not matter. You're talking minor, minor differences. You're talking tone changes. You're not talking, you know, put the meter out and, oh my God, look at this. It's a miracle. It's not that. That's not how it works. This stuff is still in the 140 decibel range, you know? It's still up there. What it's coming down from is like 165, 180, down to like 140s, okay? 140s still not great, but when you're outside and you're shooting and all that, sure, it feels it sounds fabulous. Go in a room and it's still going to be loud as shit. Go take your can that you think is fantastic. Go in your garage and shoot it. It's going to, you know, with nothing on. And you're going to hear that you're really not getting anything out of a precision rifle can with full power loads. Okay, if you're going to make subsonic stuff, then you could probably split hairs, but then everything's going to be really good again and it's going to catch up again. You know what I'm saying? It's like, don't get wrapped around sound with precision rifle suppressors. That's the key thing. It's accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. And then weight-wise, um, you know, like the Thunder Beasts are in that 14, 16 ounces. If you're under 20 ounces, you're usually in good company. Some of the heavier stainless steel internal ones are good. I have a, a, a Tac Ops on my Tango has one of uh, Microsignio's suppressors. So it's it's a titanium wrapper with stainless steel um, internals. Feels heavier, sounds great, shoots great, accurate as hell, but it's a heavier can. So you're going to get a bit of a shift other than the Tac Ops have short barrels. So Tac Ops are usually 20 or less at, at best. So you don't see it as much. But if you if you got a 24-inch barrel, 26-inch barrel, you put a suppressor on and it's heavy, you're going to see a shift. You know, they try to tune it out with certain things. And here's the thing with sound. they When they try to save the sound and try to make it better, they usually screw accuracy up. If you look through your, your suppressor and what they'll do is sometimes they'll put keys in. So think of an old skeleton key, a circle with a notch, a square notch underneath, right? If you look in your can and there's too many of those keys, well, number one, you want those keys off center from each other, but too many keys sometimes mess with accuracy a little bit and um, but make it sound really, really good, you know? So I'm not a fan of those who put too many keys in. I do like to have the brakes on them. I think the brakes are effective and stuff. Just like I said, don't get bought into the hype of a QD mount. It's still hot. It's still all this stuff. You still got to grab it and and you can unscrew it just as much. Um, Covers. Yes, yes, yes. Put your dang covers on. And safety tip, lesson learned. The cover hangs off the back. It should be about a quarter of an inch short from the end. You don't want the cover hanging over the end of the suppressor. 
uh, depending on the style and the, in the end cap of the suppressor, it'll act like a false crown. I've seen flyers. Like you'll have this weird, and if you look, it'll actually burn marks into it like a crown. Look around. If, you're, if your suppressor's cinched over the end of your, uh, of your cover, if your suppressor cover is cinched over the end cap of your suppressor, look at the burns and look at how that is. That's acting like a false crown and messing with the gases. And sometimes you can get like an errant kind of gas because of that nylon. Mess with the back of the bullet and mess with it and throw a flyer out there. So what I recommend is when you spec out your covers, measure your can because you can call up a lot of these guys, the tabs, the rifles only. I have Griffins here. He just sent me a bunch. Thank you, Jeff, over there, Um, the Griffin armament ones. I always take them back about a quarter of an inch from the end. And that way there I make sure that the exit's clean. And you want them back over the barrel side end, okay? Because when you shoot, they're going to want to creep forward. So if you have it so they cinch hard in the back, they'll stay. And then if you're a little short, then you can also see if they start to creep forward. So you'll make sure you're not going and hanging over. It won't come flying off and shoot off the end. Back in the day, we used to shoot our suppressor covers all the time until they started doing the shock cord and the cinching and all the different things they do. But yes, you need a suppressor cover for Mirage. The Mirage will kill you. Think about that. You got your 25 power scope and 20 inches in front of it. You have this 350 degree heat sink throwing Mirage up. It will make your groups look terrible. You got to put a cover. You got to watch your cadence of fire, all those things. Um, the heat is bad. You know how that works. Uh, heat, heat is not our friend when it comes to barrels and things like that. But I am a huge, huge advocate of the suppressor stuff, guys. Do yourself a favor, get a can. Um, Thunder Beast, Silencer Co. That AWC Thors. I hear I haven't shot it yet, but I hear a lot of good with the dead airs. I've shot the OSSs. Those are pretty cool. The way they have them now. They changed them when I first shot them. When I first shot them, they kind of want them paired to the barrel. Now you can do where they attach and detach. But I, I've had some pretty decent luck with the um, OSSs. Uh, God, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I really like that I, I shoot a lot. Um... A lot of Thunder Beasts, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the big Thunder Beast guy. And that's, you know, those are kind of my big main recommendations. I'd have to, oh, the, and like I said, some of the AACs I, I've had good luck with. Not all of them. The Gemtex I've had mixed results with. The Direct Thread, they're, they're, they're springy breaks. I don't, they're, um, they're Direct Thread I did. I had the Sandman, I think, is the shorter Titanium. It, it, it's it's a little smaller. That one, it was funny. It had a first round pop to it. And that's something you'll see with suppressors, like a cold bore pop. Like there's an air differential, air pressure differential thing. And the first one will throw a round out every now and then. My, my Gemtech had that. It took about 500 rounds and it got less and less and less. And what happened is as it carboned up, it got better. And now I like that Gemtech. That Sandstorm Direct uh, Attach, it's a shorter one, works really well. Um, it, 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 it took 500 rounds to work. And here's the deal. When you get your can, weigh it on a male scale. 
when you want to know about cleaning it and you don't have to clean them out much with center fire and all that stuff, weigh it. If it gets like double its weight kind of thing, clean it out. Brake cleaner, hot water. Uh, there's a Dawn dishwashing solution that you can do, a vinegar one. There's a bunch of them. You don't have to get crazy with them. I usually just do like a lot of brake cleaner and stuff because we're killing the carbon, right? There's no copper in there, so we need carbon uh, remover. You can plug the ends up, pour in some carbon stuff, shake them up. Don't leave them in overnight. I know I'm not a fan of this stuff that's meant to like eat metal and different things. Guys, leaving them in, shake them up. I blow in as hot water as you can. Shake them out, clean them. They're titanium. They're Inconel. They're stainless steel. You're not gonna mess with them too much, uh, you know, chemical wise. But um, weigh them first, then weigh them after. If they start building up. I know some of the H powders, H4350, H1000, tends to build up in the suppressors a lot. So be careful of those H powders and stuff like that. Different powders do collect in suppressors a different way. If you get full burn, it should be better. And like I said, centerfire cans, you don't clean that often. Um, I've got my jets. Uh, I'm still shooting some of the old 2004 jet. As a matter of fact, there's one sitting right behind me. I think it's like number 11. Uh, from them I have a lot of low number suppressors from people but uh that's got 12 15,000 rounds through it if not more I've cleaned it twice maybe three times you know it's it, it's flawless it still works great to this day um you know you don't have to go crazy with them maintenance wise rifles only has really nice covers and they have a, a pouch a, a, a heat pouch so they won't burn through so there's, you know, there's a nice little deal there. And I found, depending on what pouch you have, I can put the can in with the uh, cover on it into the rifles only pouch. But it's it's definitely worthwhile looking at. Gosh, I'm trying to think. Oh, Surefire is the other ones I have. The other one I shoot a lot, Surefires. So Thunderbeast, Surefire, uh, Silencico I shoot a lot of. My other favorite. Oh, one other one, Sully Arms. Dude, oh, I forgot all about this can. You want a hidden gem in Colville, uh, Washington? Sully, S-U-L-L-Y, arms. I'm shooting that. I replaced my AWC with it. It's on my AX. It's the picture with the, you know, the nose and it's silver. I don't have a cover on it, so you could see it. Uh, Pete Sullivan, Sully arms. Tell him I sent you. It is an excellent precision rifle can. If you want to go outside the box, Good design, good good everything. Um, it, it, all the guys in Washington area are shooting them. The Long Range Reality, the Carl Taylors, all those guys shoot them up there. He's local. Sully, S-U-L-L-Y, Arms, Suppressor is an excellent, excellent suppressor. Um, so I've been playing with that. I'm going to have a full-blown review once I get the blog page done. But hit me up on the Everyday Sniper. Hit me up on Sniper's Hide. We have a robust suppressor section on there. Um, you can come talk to us about it. You can see what we see wrong, what blows up, what's not good. Um, there's so much with suppressors that, that we can go into, but I like direct thread. Um, I, I, I like the Thunder Beast and their QD or their shoulders, the way they do it. I like Surefire, the way they're doing it. The versatility and the cost of Silencer Co. Outstanding. And then if you want to go outside the box and you don't want what everybody else has, Sully Arms is a good one. Uh, that suppressor I'm shooting on my AX. And like I said, it it basically replaced one of my favorite suppressors, which was my AWC Thor TI. 
That's a really good one. Good tone, thick walled. And I've, I've left that on there forever. And then I've just replaced it now with that Sully Arms. So definitely uh, go down that suppressor wormhole and put your paperwork in and forget it till they call you. Once that first one's in, then it's just like a tattoo. You'll keep wanting more and more and more and more. But um, hey guys, the uh, Everyday Sniper. Thank you for subscribing. We're almost at 1,250. We're like 1,240 something. Thank you for that. We're well over 50,000 downloads. Thank you for that. Thank you for all the support, all the interactions, everything everybody's doing. Uh, to all you haters out there with your hater aid coming my way, I see you and I'm laughing at you. They're so fucking jealous, man. It is unbelievable. You know, when I did the whole scout thing and admitted, huge mistake, man. It, they didn't. The, the, the advertising didn't match up to the reality. I get it. Big mistake. Okay, I recovered from it. I came back. My numbers are so damn strong. What even these people cycled through, you know, oh, we're not going to feed the troll. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Guess what, guys? It just rolled right on past you. Nobody cares. There's a whole new crowd. Nobody misses you. You know, if you've been missed, you've been mentioned. And it's been like three people, like Graham, Lindy, you know, they'll mention those guys. The rest of you who are talking shit and talking smack, you guys never get missed. And you're hitting there telling, don't do this with Frank. Don't be that. Don't be this guy. Guess what, guys? They're all showing up anyway because the thing loads faster than Facebook now. It's got great data. It's got historical data. You're you're wasting your breath and you're making enemies, man. And okay, guess what? I've always had enemies. I thrive off of you guys. I, I, I live for it. You know, nothing nothing says more than... Frank can't do that. He's this. He's that. You know, as if I didn't hear it going in the Marine Corps, as if I didn't hear it when I got out, as if I don't hear it to this day. You know, it's like I said, I'm, I'm willing to give a reward for the best uh, short joke that I've never heard before. If you can actually make me laugh with a short joke, I, I, I will buy you a dinner. All right. Because I've yet to hear something new. So. Stop fooling yourself or trying to make yourself feel better because it ain't working and I'm just sitting here laughing at you. Anyway, this has been Frank the Everyday Sniper and that was my little rant of my haters out there. Mike, congrats, dude. That was a clinic. You, you, you rock that show like nobody's business. So thank you very much and have a great one. Ciao.